Patty. Okay, dude, seriously, what is going on with you? Sorry, I'm all fired up, man. I just rewatched Rocky Four, which I'm assuming you haven't seen because you're not really a big fan of pop culture or like anything that's fun. Okay, well, actually, prepare to feel stupid because I have seen Rocky Four. What? Yeah, you know, if I can change and you can change, everybody can change. Oh my God, this is incredible! This is seriously incredible. That's that's got to be the first '80s pop culture reference that you've ever made, and I am so excited right now. This is the apex of our friendship, and my um... neon pop culture influence has finally infiltrated your defense mechanisms. Giving yourself way too much credit, but anyway, why? Why are you thinking about Rocky Four? Um, okay, well, so, I mean, Rocky Four has to take on that unbeatable giant, Ivan Drago, right? Yeah. Drago's like this 6'8 pile of oily muscles with a Russian accent and a I-must-break-you attitude. Mm-hmm. And in the opening of the flick, Drago kills Rocky's best friend, Apollo Creed, during a fight. They're really setting up the fact that Drago is one super bad broham, right? Right. But Rocky agrees to box him anyways. So, while Drago trains for the fight in this super high-tech gym, Rocky trains in that, like, old barn. (laughs) Drago injects steroids, and Rocky runs up mountains and, like, deadlifts a tractor. It's a real David versus Goliath deal, right? It's super amazing. So, anyways, everybody is telling Rocky that he shouldn't fight this dude, right? I mean, he's killed his buddy. He's never been beaten before. It might as well be Rocky versus, like, a T-Rex that sneezes ninja stars. He stands (laughs) no chance, right? Wrong. Rocky wins. And essentially, that's how the U.S. won the Cold War. I think you need to read some history books. Why? There's no need. You can learn all you need from 1980s action flicks. Wow. (laughs) Your teachers must all be so proud. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Anyways, my point is even though on paper Rocky is up against an insurmountable challenge, he always believes he can do it. And then he did. You know, to me, it's kind of like that saying, the person who says they can and the person who says they cannot are both correct. You know, we as the audience, we have all the doubt. But we love Rocky because he somehow can rise above his circumstances like age and opponents and lack of skill, whatever it is, you know, the outcome is determined by his will, his heart, and not by his circumstances. He says he can, so he does. And that is super amazing. I know it's a movie, but just hang with me. Yeah. I think Rocky and today's guest have a lot in common. Today, we talk with Melissa Osana. Melissa has multiple sclerosis and... She runs 100-mile ultramarathons. Yeah, that's right, 100 miles. And she says she can do it because she has an idea about perceived restrictions that is really interesting. I believe if your outlook is right, you don't have limitations. Can an outlook smash your limitations? If yes, then how exactly? Let's find out, shall we, pals? I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakanu. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them.
I read that your nickname is Smiley. Yes. <laughs> okay. So first of I, all, I, that is awesome. My nickname came after the fact that I can't stop smiling. Even at mile 98 of 100 miler, I'm deliriously happy. So... <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. That seems like that seems like the point when you'd be like, I don't know, weeping or like praying, like, dear I, sweet Lord yes. above, someone stop this, please. Someone carry me, find me, a, dear couch. Where are you? <laughs> yep. And and I just I just I run those races on happiness. I'm just I'm just effusively happy all the time when I'm running. Maybe all the time, most of the time, anyway. <laughs> When Melissa was in her early 20s, some scary things started to happen to her body. I had uh, night sweats, and I had also uh, uh, this breathing difficulty, and I still have that. That's been this ongoing thing, but I have this breathing difficulty when I eat. I, I am triggered to somehow take deep breaths. It's hard to describe, but that that was definitely, that was one of the earliest symptoms, was this this inability to breathe properly when I eat and have to take these big deep breaths. And I often then would inhale food and choke. And then I had dizziness. Um, I had basically what I like to call brain skips. I'd be walking down the stairs and this little micro second of absence would occur and I'd almost fall down the stairs. Because her job at the time didn't provide insurance, Melissa didn't go to the doctor. She kind of just monitored these issues for three or four years. But then, when she was 27 years old, an even scarier symptom occurred. There was a little gray spot in the center of my vision. And then the gray spot grew and grew and grew and uh, took over my whole vision. I could see some shapes on the outskirts, like in my peripheral vision, but I was totally just saw gray. Um, And was this over the course of... Uh, a, a day or a, a week or and where couple, were you a couple of hours um a, in a couple yeah, of hours it, yeah in a couple of hours it just started with you know rubbing my eye because it i just felt like my vision was right. funny you know you get floaters in your eyes sometimes and and then it just over a couple of hours i went totally blind in that eye yeah were you at home no i was on a trip <laughs> i was on a trip with uh my ex-husband <laughs> And um, yeah, and he uh, he was he found it inconvenient that I was going blind in one eye. <laughs> I yeah. bet you found it pretty inconvenient as well. I did too. Yes, <laughs> you notice I said ex-husband. So, <laughs> what would happen if you did actually have a problem? It was a very um, <clears throat> it was a very negative relationship, a very controlling relationship. So my role in that relationship was to make him happy and play the part of the, you know, dutiful spouse. <laughs> and so I had to do that. I could, I could not have my own problems. Um, that wasn't part of how things went. What do you mean by that? There was anger. I had, it was a very, it was an emotionally abusive relationship. I would be screamed and yelled at, woken up in the middle of the night, screamed and yelled at, berated, insulted, et cetera, et cetera. I had, you know, you talk to me now and I'm, I'm the smiley one, but I was, it was a rough time in my life, even before I was diagnosed with MS, being in that relationship. The situation um, at the time required me to 
not complain about it too much. Um, again, I was on a trip. Um, I wanted to go home, but that was not convenient. Um, and I say that snidely. <laughs> so I had to wait two days not knowing what was going on before I was back home and was able to see my eye doctor. At this stage, Melissa had insurance. She was diagnosed with optic neuritis. It's an inflammation of the optic nerve. And when her eye doctor heard about the other symptoms, she called Melissa's neurologist for an MRI. That's when Melissa was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. MS is a chronic progressive disease. It's caused by damage to both the brain and the spinal cord's nerve cells. Symptoms can be unpredictable and sporadic. From something as general as fatigue to more serious things like involuntary muscle spasms, cognitive problems, and difficulty breathing. While MS is not a fatal disease, complications from it can lead to death. Melissa was 28 years old when she was diagnosed. When the doctors told you, what was your immediate reaction? I, I know some people get really upset when that something like that happens. People break down and cry. I took it in. I absorbed it. I mean, in the office, I said, okay, that's what I'm going to have to deal with. But I stood back from its effects on me and I just looked at it as, okay, here's a fact that now exists and I have to figure out a way to deal with it. So I took it as a challenge rather than some kind of a, a death sentence for my life. I really took it as a, okay, I can do this. I can face this. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> wow, really? I'm, I'm a stubborn person. And you tell me, here, you have this big thing you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. And I step up and say, that just gives me this, okay, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to face it. And I'm going to have at it. And, you know, bring it on. Give me what you can. I'm going to, I'm going to fight this. But when I say fight this, I don't entirely mean like I didn't I didn't go into everything swinging I just said I I'm gonna I'm gonna be me I'm gonna continue to be me and we're gonna see what happens and when you got the diagnosis while you were in this abusive relationship did the diagnosis of MS did it create an even greater feeling of being trapped oh yes yes very much so he also used it against me he um would say, uh, you know, whenever I wouldn't agree with him or something, he would say, well, MS causes mental issues and therefore you're just not thinking straight and I'm right and you're wrong because you have mental issues. <laughs> so, so it was very challenging. It was very challenging to, um, to, keep, my, to keep my head up through all that. And, and I mean, there was a part of me, I mean, I was, I was stuck in that relationship. I felt stuck. Um, he also used it, you know, you have to do what I say because you're spoiled goods and no one will want to be with you anymore. And so that was, that was tough. And, and to some degree, you know, there was this, this frightened part of me that believed him, but the core of stubborn me eventually was able to get out of it. <laughs> I, but the core of the stubborn me, and, and I honestly think I'm going to say this, that the MS was a gift because it gave me something else to fight for. 
and it gave me this this strength and determination that I didn't really have before. I was I was in this negative relationship. I felt trapped there. Then with the MS, that really started my move to build my strength up again and that it gave me this little edge to fight. After her diagnosis, Melissa decided to pursue her doctorate. She studied immunology and really dove into what MS was doing to her body. I continued through grad school to have lots of visual issues. I had optic neuritis over and over. I had diplopia, where basically the muscles in my eye, one of my eyes would would be immobilized, and then I would have double vision. So I was always wearing an eye patch in one eye or another. And um, I decorated the eye patch with glitter glue. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> was like, if I'm going to wear an eye patch, I might as well have fun. Right. I, if I'm going to have an eye patch out, I might as well be blinging out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So, and, and, you know, symptoms continued a lot through grad school and stressful relationship. And I learned through all that, that, that stress was one of my biggest triggers for exacerbations. And there was no escaping it at in the life that I had at the time. I mean, my least stressful times were at work doing my research because I liked all the people there. But then I would go home to my relationship and, and it was stressful. And it was, it was just, it was like this work gave me this little um, time to feel like myself and to feel like I was strong and I was powerful um, and I was learning things and I was studying and it was wonderful. Um, and then I would go home and be, you know, subservient again. <laughs> and that didn't work well for me. So he basically was having a, a, a breakdown of sorts and he was getting more and more abusive and would wake me up in the middle of the night and grab my head and shake my head and tell me I was the devil. And it was, it was, I was horrified. I was horrified. I didn't know whether he he used to say he had a gun. He never showed me the gun, but he would talk about it. And I was really starting to fear for my life. I thought either he might decide to take me out or um, or he might decide to take himself out. Coming up after the break, Melissa takes matters into her own hands. During this time, how would you describe your your outlook? Like following the diagnosis, did you feel limited? Well, so so that's kind of where the outlook came in. So I I got the diagnosis. I took that and I I made I made some changes in my life, little changes, like going back to going to grad school, um, getting to to know people at work, which brought me friends again because the controlling relationship had excluded friends from my life. My outlook about my relationship was still definitely not good, but I was growing in strength and my outlook was was growing more positive. And I always had good interactions with people, but then my home life was just so stressed. But as time went by, 
I started seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and I really focused on that. And I said, there's, there's got to be a way that I can get out of where I am and do all the great things that I know I'm capable of. And I uh, went one day, I, I went to the doctors and I talked to the nurse there about what was really going on in my life and how trapped I felt and captive I felt. And I I cried and cried. I was a big mess. I was this sobbing mess. And I knew her because I had been going to her, you know, as a, as a patient. And um, through this nurse, I got some email addresses of, of people that I could talk to in the medical system. And I started to be able to email people and talk about what was going on because I couldn't talk about it out loud. Knowing that somebody finally knew about what was going on in my personal life, you know, regardless of, of MS and my own health. Um, and that really gave me the strength to feel I could get out. And I got out one morning. I packed an overnight bag and I packed my work. Well, I packed the overnight bag and I hid it in the closet. And I got up to go to work because I worked early in the morning and my ex-husband slept late because he stayed up late. And um, I got up. And I took my bag out of the closet and I left. And that was it. Once she left that relationship, Melissa's confidence grew. She focused on grad school and work. And one of those email addresses the nurse gave her belonged to a guy who became a really close friend. And later, her husband. Melissa's personal and professional life really started to amplify. But the MS fatigue was still causing her to be nearly constantly tired. And she was also diagnosed with a sleep disorder. Melissa's doctor prescribed exercise to boost her energy. Melissa's reaction? How can I exercise if I can't make it through a workday without falling asleep? But then she got inspired. I was in the Hannaford in Bar Harbor the weekend of the Mount Desert Island Marathon in October. It was in 2011. And all the athletes were there. And they were, you know, all getting buying healthy foods and looking all energetic and happy and looking forward to the race the next day. And I thought to myself, geez, I wish I could do that. And then I said to myself, why can't I do that? Maybe this is exactly what I have to do. And so I finished my grocery shopping. I went home and I said to my husband, Peter, the good one, um, <laughs> I, said, I said, honey, I'm going to run the MDI marathon next year. And he said, but you don't run. And I said, yeah, I know, but I have a year to figure it out. So that's what I'm going to do. And he said, all right, have at it. <laughs> so I had flirted with running throughout you know, my life. And when I say flirted with running, like every once in a while, I would have a friend who ran and I'd run like two miles for maybe a week, right. you know, every once in a while. Right. And then I, you know, but no, I never, I never ran a race. I never ran pretty much any more than a couple of miles here and there. Um, so I was never a runner. I just, you know, every once in a while I'd flirt with it. But yeah, I, I searched through my closet and I found, you know, a pair of sneakers you know, that people have. And I went out and I tried to, the next day after I made my decision, I went out and I tried to run down my road. How many miles did you get? The first day? Yeah. 
Well, it was a run walk, and I was about 0.8 miles. Wow. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, why did I say this this goal why out loud? Why did I loud? say I would run a marathon? I can't even yeah. run a mile. Oh, my God, someone shoot me now. And so why a marathon? Why not, like, I'm going to run five miles a week for the next year. I like challenge, and I like big things, and I know that I'm not as motivated by smaller things Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and i know that if i said you know i'm going to train for a 5k i probably wouldn't find that motivational for me so i needed something big that i would be embarrassed if i didn't do you know i needed i needed i needed like that stretch goal that's that crazy thing and i needed to put it out first i needed it just it's it's how I also faced MS. I mean, MS is a huge thing. And I was like, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get it. And so I needed another huge thing that was intentional for me. And so a marathon sounded like a good intentional, huge thing for me to fight for. Melissa started the long haul of training. She found a routine online and stuck to it for a year. And then on race day, the sun was out, the birds were chirping, and everything was just peachy keen and smooth sailing. Just kidding. It was a super duper crummy, cold, rainy day. I got to the starting line and I started running and that huge smile came up on my face regardless of the rain and the wind and the cold and I had the best time ever. I mean, I, you know, there's photographers along the course and every picture there's me in the pouring rain soaking wet with this big grin on my face and why were you smiling what did it feel like it felt so good it just the i don't know the endorphins and the strength of running and 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 i'm i'm laughing at the ridiculousness of everything about the fact that my first marathon would be in this like downpour with wind blowing things sideways and it's crazy and it's cold and what on earth am I doing here having so much fun (laughs) and I was I was thrilled I was thrilled and um I finished the race and then I basically almost immediately got hypothermia (laughs) I started stopped running I stopped running and everything started shaking I mean it was so cold and I am shaking and I'm shaking and I and my parents were there and you know they're calling out to me and they hugged me and um my husband is there and and they have this big celebration at the finish line and I'm shaking so hard and I can't talk and my teeth are chattering and I'm just, take me home, take me home. Oh my God. But I was still smiling. I was smiling as my teeth were chattering. Oh my so, God. so I went and my husband drew me a hot bath and I got into the bathtub and then he brought me food because of course I was hungry. And and I, I had my medal like right next to the bathtub because it was my prized possession. And um and my husband's feeding me and I'm sitting in the hot bath. And it was it was it was just such a fantastic day. I mean, you're hooked. You are a runner. Right? Yeah, but so the problem was I didn't have any other running plans. And all of a sudden, I had no goals anymore. Now, that's how it felt. And so I had this, I had this like, okay. Well, what do I do now? 
Melissa's response? She immediately signed up for two more races. But they weren't just regular marathons. They were ultra marathons. You know, a race longer than the standard 26.22 miles. Because that's just too short of a jog, right? Yeesh. So those were my next steps. And I figured, you know, 50K, I can do that. That's just a little bit longer than a marathon. So yeah, I, I, I had become addicted to running and had that brief period of time of, oh my gosh, I don't have any races left. What am I going to do? And then I just started going crazy and I signed up for race after race. <laughs> what are, what are some of your running career highlights? I think the, the, the great Cranberry Island 50 K was, was wonderful for me because it was my first ultra and it wasn't that long after my first marathon and also it was it was a hot day and I, I ms is often i don't like heat um let's just put it that way it often can lead to exacerbations but i was able to to tone it down during the heat of the day and just go slow and i was still able to finish on time, you know, in the time allotted. So I felt really good about that one. I felt good about facing the challenge of the distance and the challenge of the heat of the day. Um, it's also just a wonderful race because you run back and forth on a two-mile road. And this summer, you've set a pretty remarkable goal for yourself. Can you explain what the grand slam of ultra running is? Yes. So I decided I've, I've run 100-mile races. That was kind of my process of increased challenges for myself. And and I have to say, I have not had a notable exacerbation uh, of my MS since I started running. So since late 2011, I have not had a notable exacerbation. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm celebrating this and, and I also turning 50 this year. So I've, I've been super successful dealing with my MS. I'm turning 50 and I figured yeah, I need something big for this year too. So the Grand Slam is four of the five uh, of the first 100-mile races that were established in the country. Um, so the five races are Old Dominion in Virginia, Vermont 100 in Vermont, <laughs> uh, Western States out in California, Leadville in Colorado, and Wasatch um, in Utah. So those are the five, and I'm running. I'm not running Western states. I didn't get into Western states, so that's uh, that's the one I'm going to be skipping of the five. So I've got I've got the other four, and I'm all set. I volunteered at Leadville, so I got into Leadville. You can you can plan that and arrange it. So yeah, four 100 mile races in four months, and in less than four months. Wow. Um, <clears throat> Why? And uh, Why? Oh, just because. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> challenge, period. Because challenge, because challenge. And I, I love, you know, when I, when I was diagnosed with MS, I didn't know how it would go. I didn't know if I could fight it. I didn't know if I would end up in a wheelchair. I didn't know if I would be blind for life. I didn't know each time I lost my vision, was it going to come back? I don't know. So I didn't know anything. And I feel like each time I run a hundred mile race, I go in not knowing. And there's some relationship of that to my dealing with MS. 
each time I finish one of these things that I didn't know if I could finish, I feel like it's, you know, I, I can do this. And even even if MS comes and gets me someday again, there's there's a satisfaction that I found in taking on challenges that I don't know if I can complete. And it's it's I've I'm gonna be able to look back on my life and say, well, you know, I did all these things. I challenged myself this much and now maybe I can no longer see or I have to use a cane or whatever it is that might happen. But I can feel really good about never shirking a challenge. When I signed up to run a 50-mile ultra, I I wanted to see if I was, like, tough enough, you know? Yeah. If I yeah. could challenge my mind and my body and mm-hmm. and hold up to to it you know both mm-hmm. mind and body but yep. kind of looking back you know i'm not sure if i was a running away from something or towards something mm-hmm. do you have an experience with or do you have any thoughts on on this mindset i'm definitely not running away for me it's running towards yeah it's running towards that that finish line it's running towards that accomplishment it's running towards that thrill of overcoming an obstacle for me ultra running is is this way to keep challenging myself and keep myself sharp and run towards accomplishment and 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 challenge and and testing testing yourself i don't know i've i've my diagnosis of ms really made me i don't know if i need challenge but it's it's made me a lot more open to new things in life and to to stepping up to the plate for challenges and it sounds like you're leading a much healthier life today than you were prior to your diagnosis oh completely so i'm active i'm eating well i feel better now than i've really felt ever and also i have to say the running and my life with my family is much less stressful than previous episodes of life. (laughs) So, so I think that really, really helps too. So I feel, I feel really great. And my husband supports me. My son laughs at me. Um, My husband also laughs at me, (laughs) but, (laughs) but you know, they, they all understand that this is, this is something that I, um, enjoy and it's something that's really made me a much more positive, happier person. I mean, I always face life with a positive outlook, but mm-hmm. it just keeps getting better and better with the running and with the people that I've met and with the the health and the energy that this has all brought to me. I, I mean, I just I feel great all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I mean, do you feel like you have any limitations today? I don't. I mean, no, I, I don't. I mean, I still, I still have some, some breathing thing still continues. I still get tired sometimes, but I don't see them as limitations. I see them. I've learned how to take power naps at my one hundreds. So if I just, if I just enter a crash period, I've, taught myself to sit in a chair for 15 minutes and sleep and wake up and keep going. And so, yeah, I get tired. Yeah, maybe some people can run 100-mile races without taking a power nap, but 
I often can't. And so I've, I've learned, you know, how to work with that. I mean, I look at my life and the things that, that had I not stayed positive and kept a positive outlook through some of the things that I went through, I could be completely morose right now. And I know that my outlook has helped with my management of my MS because when I was stressed, I had a lot more symptoms. And I saw that relationship of, of the stress and the symptoms. And the more my outlook became positive, the fewer issues that I had. To me, in my life, mental roadblocks a lot of time can seem like these, these almost immovable objects or at the very least stumbling blocks. Mm-hmm. And they just don't seem like that for you. And I'm wondering how they are not. I wish I had a magic thing to tell you. <laughs> I wish um, you did too. That would really help me out, <laughs> Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would love it if there was a magic approach. But honestly, everything that we deal with in life, I mean, there are, there are so many challenges in life. I and mean, we all have issues come up. What really stands out to me is your unwavering positivity, you know, this positive (laughs) outlook that you have. And I'm wondering, I mean, what fuels that? What's behind that? Is it hope? Is it humor? Is it stubbornness? Is it all those things? I think it's all those things. Yeah, I think it's all those things. I think think stubbornness is probably where I started. For me, my outlook and my positivity is probably rooted in in stubbornness <laughs> in you know don't tell me I can't do something because then I'm going to want to do it more and I know a lot of people say that but when I am faced with challenges I don't immediately I, I'm not going to claim that I'm like oh gee I have MS awesome but but there's a process that you go through and and I think that outlook is something that you can you can change you can work on it you can Start looking at the small positive things in a bad situation and slowly start to see more of them. Mm-hmm. Everybody has something that they love and you just need support sometimes to build the strength to move towards that. Everybody has something that they love and we all can get there. listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Melissa Osana. And to learn more about what she's doing, check out our Instagram at Moss Runner. If you like today's show, then tell your crew and get the word out. You know, much like life, Safety Third is a team sport, and it's hard to huddle up when you're all by yourself. So tell your friends and fam, get some help applying your eye black, come up with a team cheer, I suggest, yay, friendship, and crank the dial all the way up. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the old interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Alex Park edited this episode. Additional production help from Britt Hansen. Music by my big brother. Yes, my brother, Brendan Underpants Optional O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, 
Safety third. <laughs>